0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pep Talks, also known as the Pure Empathy Podcast. I'm Maritza. And I'm Shamina. Welcome, everybody. If this is your first time joining us, we are super excited that you're here. Shamina and I are two licensed therapists working to break down the stigma about mental health, as well as promoting mental and emotional health and wellness. We're super glad to have you listening, and we would love to have you follow along on our platforms. I'll have Shamina tell you about those.
1: So if you want to learn more about our practice or interested in more content or other social media related things, uh, check us out on Facebook. Our handle is Pure Empathy LLC. Um, head over to our website, which is pureempathyllc.com and follow us on Instagram. Our handle on Instagram is pure.empathy. LLC. We post all kinds of practice-related updates, any social media updates, podcast updates, all things related to mental health on all of those platforms. So check us out.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Shemina. So please follow along with us. It'll add some positivity in your feed. Now let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. All right. So welcome to Mental Health Awareness Month
1: welcome we have finally made it to may i can't believe i know
0: yeah may already which means for for us here school's almost out so we're looking at summer vacation for the kids and stuff and what we're going to try and do to keep them entertained So speaking of mental health awareness, I'm like <laughs> parenting in this generation, right? Um, yeah, but yeah, Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm sure that everybody's been saying, probably I would imagine if you're on social media, all like a ton of content around mental health awareness. I, I say this and then I realize that um, my feed the very few times I kind of get on there and check in, it's very mental health related, you know, probably cause all the connections with what I do. So, um, that may not be the case for everybody, but it is mental health awareness month. And that's what we're going to talk about today.
1: Yes. We're super excited. This is one of my favorite months to do a podcast episode and talk about this stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What makes this your favorite? I mean, we have a lot of great topics we've already covered, so.
1: I don't know, because we do this every day. So it's like something I'm very passionate about. And it's like, yes, this is about my job and people can learn things. And I think usually around this time is when I reflect on my work as a therapist and how that impacts me as a person and, you know, just the importance of like what we do and like how to educate other people about
0: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I like that this brings me back down to earth with all of it because, um, since we do this every day, um, it becomes very common knowledge, second nature, um, especially after so many years of kind of practicing as a therapist and just being, um, like a mental health advocate basically. And so I remember sometimes, uh, this kind of reminds me, go back to basics, you know, um, and back to basics, I think for me, it's like fighting the good fight, <laughs> right. Of like reminding people that, a, <clears throat> a mental illness or a mental health diagnosis is absolutely the same as, as like a medical diagnosis, as far as like, if you have, um, something like diabetes or high cholesterol, And there's various ways to treat that. Same if you are diagnosed as bipolar or ADHD, PTSD, or or any of the mental health disorders. And it just reminds me that although I live in that space, um, because I've been doing that work personally and with other people for so long, there are so many people that still aren't in that space yet of mental health is just as important as say medical or physical health. And really that it's the same as, you know, getting a, a crutch or a wheelchair, um, taking meds or going to therapy. These are the same kind of things. They're just operate in little different categories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so today we, we want to talk a little bit about the process of deciding to come to therapy, um, what the first session even looks like, some resources with that, because I, I think so many people making the decision is a really hard part. And then they don't know what to expect from, I've made this decision to their first appointment. And I think that's where a lot of, and the media does not portray, I have yet to find like a really accurate version of like what therapy looks like in the media, what's ethical, what's legal. And so I I think there's such a huge discrepancy of reality versus the fantasy.
0: Oh, for sure. There's a couple of different um, things that that a friend brought to my attention that have come out recently that have therapy as like the main theme of the show or movie. And I have not watched those yet. The ones that have been recommended to me. I think a little bit because sometimes that stuff's like, um, I'm doing that all day at work. I don't necessarily want to come home and (laughs) do do more of that. Like I'm a multifaceted person and I like to do things other than just mental health and psychology. For me, truthfully, there's not a whole lot. It's also a hobby for me, um, even before it was a practice. So I, I do enjoy psychology overall. But needless to say, everybody needs a break from even their passions sometimes. And so getting to watch those now is is pretty hard. But historically, everything I've seen, I'll, I'll get maybe a glimpse of a moment. And I'm like, okay, that that's kind of maybe how a moment would go in therapy. But when I zoom out and see the overall picture of what's portrayed It's usually really, really inaccurate, (laughs) Um, really, really inaccurate. And the boundaries are often all over the page because, you know, it's it's a movie, it's a show, whatever it is.
1: Yes. There's one on Apple TV. It's called Shrinking. And I recently watched it. I have a very tough time watching therapy things, but this was one that it's not. There are there are very many illegal things that happen and unethical things, but it is one that I can enjoy and it is so funny and it takes a lot for me to actually laugh at like TV shows or movies. Mm-hmm. And this was something that I could just like unplug. It didn't feel like, oh my gosh, this is what I do every day, but I thoroughly enjoyed that show.
0: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the ones that do try to be really serious with it are more exhausting because we're just like, okay. Um, and I have noticed too, like a lot of stand up comedians are bringing mental health into the spotlight. And I personally love that because I do think when we're able to laugh about something, we've arrived somewhere with it. Mm-hmm. And so every time we can kind of point out the obvious, even if it's a dark side of humanity and, and have a chuckle about the reality of our, sh- our own shadow, right. And, and the darkness that we kind of swim around in sometimes we can then start to make peace with that, right. Because we're, we're able to be honest with it in a different kind of way. And I love that there's been a lot more awareness about mental health happening, like with standup comedians and obviously in, in a comedic way, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so let, let's kind of talk about like Coming to therapy, so I know a lot of our listeners are people that probably are already in therapy or might even be in therapy with myself or Shamina. Um, so for them, this will probably just be validating, right? Of what what it might have been like, kind of trying to find a therapist and and find a place where you felt like you could do um, the work you need to do. But for other people who are kind of on the fence or just thinking about it, or maybe have a loved one that's struggling with mental health issues hopefully this will be informative for those people. Um, but one of the, the things that I tend to lean into as a therapist, um, and have done this probably, probably since forever, um, is therapy being a good fit. So that's really vague. <laughs> it's pretty abstract. It's pretty broad. There's no set criteria for that because it's, it's deeply personal. So, When you're looking for a therapist in particular, you're going to want somebody who has the right training, certifications, licensure, and and things like that. So that's to, for the people who are specifically looking for therapy, there's lots of other helping and healing professionals, um, but we're specifically talking about what we do, which is um, like psychotherapy practice and the thing you want to figure out first is like, what is it that you actually need or are looking for? And so for a lot of people, this could be what we call on our end, the presenting issue or the presenting problem. Um, So you might be someone who's struggling with a lot of anxiety. Okay, you probably want to start looking for somebody who deals specifically with anxiety. If you know that there's a lot of people who specialize just particularly in that diagnosis. Um, Maybe you have a past trauma that keeps coming up or you're dealing with symptoms of PTSD, look for people who have that listed or, or, or speaking to that in their content webpage or wherever you might be searching for them. And then for some people, you might not have a specific mental health issue or diagnosis that's your challenged, And you just want to like, be a better person, self-actualize, improve. And you might be wondering if therapy is for you. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> I've had many clients over the years and and I think this is because I do specialize a lot in trauma and I deal with really, really, um, significant traumas, people who suffer with complex PTSD symptoms. So when I get people that are what we tend to call like high functioning, meaning they have jobs, they're okay in the world, they maybe have supportive others, um, overall snapshot of their life, things are fine, right? There's nothing that goes, oh my gosh, this person really needs immediate help, or intervention, they will often ask me if they belong in my office. And to that, I'm like, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't belong here other than the person who just doesn't vibe with me and doesn't wanna be here and that's totally fine by me. <laughs> Um, let's find you somebody you, you can connect with. But other than that, there, there's not a person who isn't a good candidate for therapy. Most of the time, even if it's simply, I just want to be better, do better, bring some things to light for myself. That's a good reason to go to therapy. And it has a lot to offer from anywhere from that all the way to people who are struggling with severe uh, mental health symptoms.
1: So once you identify kind of the the reason that you want to go to therapy or something that you want to work on, the next thing is the type of therapist that you want. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize how important this is. Do you want a therapist who's close to your age? Um, is there a specific like culture of therapists, the, the language that they speak, how they look, all of those types of things? really take into consideration the type of therapist that you want to be able to work with. Oftentimes, you know, I, I am younger. And so my clients were like, I'm looking for somebody who can understand me or is younger. I've had an older therapist before, and there was just this generation gap. They couldn't understand what I was talking about those types of things. I don't think people realize how important it is because you want to work with somebody who can relate to you in a way and can understand the things That you're talking about and experiencing and sometimes with age gaps or generation gaps, or even cultural gaps, you may not feel as though you're being heard or seen or understood by your therapist.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I love that you brought that up because these, um, the personal identifiers of your therapist, these are things that, especially as we see the younger generations, this is a big deal for them, right? Um, those lived identities and being able to relate in that way. And I love that we're looking at it because to me, that self of the therapist, like you have a self and it's going to come through. There's, it's very difficult to just hide who you are. Right. And I really don't encourage that. Like, honestly, I don't encourage it to my clients and I don't encourage it when I'm working with um, my registered interns, use the self of the therapist. It's, it's very, very valuable because there's a lot of times where people just sit down and they go, oh, thank goodness. Like you get it without me having to say all this extra stuff. Right. And of course, I I remember being in school, right? And they would tell us like, don't assume, ask, right? Ask your client. So how how did you feel about that, right? Don't assume how they felt, ask how they felt. And that's fine and dandy. But more what I'm talking about is um, like, for example, military or first responders, sometimes they'll really connect with like a very particular therapist because some of them are ex-military themselves or used to be first responders. And they can sort of quickly understand some of the nuances of that job, that vocation without having to be told that builds an instant rapport. You can look at each other and go, I know what you mean without words. That really matters because for most people, the sense is that I've been seen and I've been heard without even having to go there, right? I didn't have to say anything. I didn't have to do anything. I could give you very little and you understood the whole package that I'm working with here. And for a lot of people, especially if they aren't ready to express some deeper emotions right away or don't need or want to go into the nitty gritty of say those particular types of traumas, it's very helpful to have somebody who understands what you've already got going on. And this could be like, like I said, from a job, that culture, like you're talking about any of these categories, even age, I've noticed (laughs) for myself, I'm like, oh, I'm an older therapist now. When did that happen? I used to be (laughs) Shamina, okay? I used to have people be like, coming in, looking at me like, are you old enough to do this job? And I was like, I'm older than I look. I promise. I just have round rosy cheeks. Um, that's just my face shape. Don't worry about it. I've, I've been through all the vetting processes and they're looking at me like, sure. Okay. Now nobody asks me that I got streaks of gray hair. I definitely have kids. Um, they walk in and they're like, this chick could be my mom. And I'm like, Oh my God, I could, how old are you? <laughs> so I don't know what had happened, but the point is I, I keep up on my skills, but there are gaps between say me and my Gen Z clients, which I do have Gen Z clients and, and we connect well, but I do have to ask them a couple of things. I have to close that gap by asking questions that my guess is you wouldn't have to ask. <laughs> right? You'd be like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, what social media platform to which are you referring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does it do? Is it pictures? Is it video? What does it do? <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and so those are really important things to consider when looking for a therapist. And um a, a big resource that we use or we encourage other people to use is psychology today. So that is a website that most therapists market themselves on. You can see a picture of the therapist, a little kind of bio, the types of therapy they do, the populations they work with, the insurances they take, their, you know, there's usually a link to their website, those types of things. So that's a huge resource. For people looking for therapists. Um, You can also go through, if you're using insurance, go through your insurance company and have them provide you a list of um, therapists who take your insurance and are in network. And usually a lot of people will kind of look at it that way, but those are typically the two biggest referral sources that I see.
0: Yes, definitely. And I would say it's, it seems, I mean, I don't have statistics on this by, by any means, but it seems psychology today is the most popular. It's heavily used. Um, So if you go on there, it's really great because it does let you filter by a lot of these identifiers. And I have noticed, I think in the last year or so, they have added areas where we can put our lived identities on there. So we can kind of put Not just populations we might work with or specialize with, but our own identity. So you can go and easily see, does this person, is this person maybe bilingual? Do they have a similar cultural background to me? Um, What specialties do they work with? Do they take my insurance? Um, So that's a really popular one. The other one I used to use, and I used to be on, but I'm not anymore, is Good Therapy. I believe it's goodtherapy.org. If I'm remembering correctly, but that's another one. It's very similar to psychology today, so you may just see a lot of double up on the profiles. Um, but those two profiles, it does require their the, excuse me, the narrative portion to be unique, so they can't just copy paste. So you might get a little different um, angle on what they do or more information if they're on both. And um, the last one, since we did mention culture, I wanted to mention for people who are specifically looking. Um, for somebody who comes from their cultural background or supports um, certain communities, specifically BIPOC and those working toward decolonization. The website is com. I recently came across this and I was really, really um, interested in, and have been coming through some profiles on there and learning a lot more about it, but everyone on there has agreed to their mission. And basically everyone on there represents a very specific lived identity. And so it's very nice and quick to be able to find someone who matches your cultural background.
1: Thanks. I hadn't heard of that last one.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. I'll take you down the rabbit hole soon. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> I good. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, yeah, it
0: is. It is. I'm like, oh, look what I've discovered. Everyone must join in. <laughs> yes. I figured
1: yeah. something had happened when you had messaged us um, in Slack recently about like cultures and, and just kind of the practice. I was like, there's something going on here.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all emerging. So keep keep your eyes filled. I'm sure I'll have stuff on the website. But what Shamina is kind of referring to is I recently messaged over, I believe it was an article um, that was written about working with people who come from different um, cultural backgrounds. So people who would identify as like mixed either between races or cultures. And I can't remember, I think I, I think I might've touched on this in one of our previous podcasts that I identify as bicultural, but not biracial. Um, And so for me, that's always been really interesting because like, you know, I'm white and white, um, but I'm I'm obviously Cuban. I was raised by a Cuban father who came here in 1980 um, on the boat lift. So, you know, growing up with both of those identities, that's a very particular experience to be in. So <clears throat> for those who aren't in our practice and aren't aware, all of the therapists currently, so myself, Shamina, and Alyssa, in our practice, we all have multiple uh, either racial or cultural identities our self that we hold and um, recently I've just become like increasingly proud of that fact <laughs> just as as the day's gone I'm, I'm much more proud of it every time I sort of notice and remember because one I've looked around that's not a lot of the practices that you see the field is overwhelmingly Caucasian and as far as master's level and higher. And so the fact that everybody in our practice identifies as more than one race or cultural identity gives us such a diversity of who we're able to reach again, just simply because of our own lived identities. And I, I feel like that's really, really needed.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So identify kind of recap, identify <laughs> what you're coming to therapy for, the type of therapist that you're looking for. And the next step is like reaching out and making an appointment. So whether that's going yes. through like a website, depending on what that looks like, whether it's calling and kind of talking to a therapist, some therapists do consultations, which is, you know, just kind of How do you describe a consultation, like getting, getting, Uh, seeing, seeing if it's like a good fit and, you know, what you're coming to therapy for talking a little bit about themselves, how they work. Um, Sometimes like that first point of contact, like sells people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't do that. Um, We were Mm -hmm. just talking beforehand of how Mertz and I both don't do that. We do
0: not (laughs) do that. We work like your doctor. You just have to come to an appointment, see if you like it, and if you don't return, we're okay with that. Um, it, it's it's not. Um, I I think I originally did like the whole free fifteen minute phone consultation when I started my very first private practice ages ago. Um, there's some merit to it. I understand that I'm like a doctor. This is somebody you might see weekly for a really long time. But to me, the best way to get to know is just to book an appointment because you get a full session. That's going to give you a much better picture. And to be honest with you, there's not much I could tell you in 15 minutes that you can't just find out on the website. You can find out my specialties. You can listen to the podcast about how I got here. You can hear about my lived identities there. I'm not going to be able to give you much more other than speaking to your particular challenge. And I'd much rather do that in the nice container of a session because that's truthfully going to to me, give you a much better feel for what it's going to be like to be in therapy with me, catching me on the phone. I'm not necessarily in my, with my therapist hat and switching those gears all the time. is really challenging.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So you make the appointment. You have your first session coming up and now, you know, with the pandemic, that's kind of changed what that looks like. So whether it's telehealth or in person, I think we still do the, you know, our whole like first session is still the same, whether we're in person or telehealth, but those are kind of the two different platforms now that are becoming a lot more popular. And that's something too, when you're looking for a therapist is do they take telehealth or do they have telehealth appointments? Is that something that you're looking for? Do you want to work in office. Whenever I have a client who reaches out, usually my first question is, are you looking for in-person or telehealth? And are you insurance or self-pay? Those are the two questions that I always ask right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, these are usually the the first order of business, if you will, that people want to know like, is the schedule gonna work for me? Is the method of payment gonna work for me? Because those are your basic logistics. If that does work for you, then you kind of sit down and go, okay, does this therapist work for me? You know, is 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 this a good connection? Do I feel comfortable here? And I like to tell people so the whole process can be very, very exhausting. Let me let me just validate that right away because obviously getting to a point where you just feel like, Oh, I need to get into therapy that can feel stressful for a lot of people, especially if it's their first experience with it. And you may see many therapists before you find the one that you're like, Oh, okay, this feels good. This feels like I can really get into my stuff. And I can really go there. Um, That may not be the first person you meet. So Although I know it's difficult, try not to get discouraged if you do end up in a few offices or or virtual offices via telehealth. And it's just like, yeah, I don't want to see this person again. That's okay. Okay. That's totally fine. Again, we're talking all the selves of all the therapists are very different. So you're not only looking at skills and training. Somebody could be very highly skilled, a really excellent therapist, but if some of those identifiers are off for you, or you just feel like you're speaking a really different language, they're not reflecting you in a language that that clicks for you, you're gonna be working really hard, right? Just to get somewhere. find somebody where maybe it feels a little more ease, it feels smoother. That's okay. and And I'll say there's a discerning line between like being challenged in therapy. And it feeling challenging just to be in a room with your therapist, right? Um, So you're going to feel challenged. There's going to be sessions where you're just like, you know, I don't care for you right now. And the therapist is going to be like, I hear that. That happens sometimes. Um, (laughs) Don't worry. I'll see you next week, right? (laughs) Like it's not all sunshine and rainbows every single session. But all I'm getting at is a lot of times people tell me in the very first session, whether they feel like they could build that trust with me or not. Like most people fill it in the first one to three sessions is what I typically hear.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's the most important, most people, you, you end that first session and you know, it's just like, if, you're meeting a new friend or going out on a date, typically people know really quickly, like, oh, there's good chemistry here or like this person's energy, or I feel really comfortable when I'm around them. It's the same type of thing when you're, when you go meet a therapist, do you get that feeling? Is it easy to talk to this person? Can I trust this person? Do they make me feel safe? If the answer is no to any of those questions. Go find another therapist. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, Because absolutely. usually
1: if, if you don't feel that immediately, then they're not the right fit for you. Yes. It will take time to feel that you can fully trust them or that you want to go deeper, but initially you're really going to know probably within the first, like 10 to 30 minutes of a session.
0: Yeah. And, and I know for me, like in a lot of therapy, this is what I work with people on, right. Is, um, because I'm doing a lot of trauma healing. Is it trusting your gut? You know, honoring your intuition and these kind of things that we can get really disconnected from when we experience traumatic uh, things throughout our lives, we can start to not listen to that in internal signal or compass or whatever you call it for yourself that goes off and says, "I do like this" or "I don't like this." And sometimes it's as simple as that: "I do like it" or "I don't like it." And if you if you're struggling with that, just look at it in terms of that: like, do you eat? potatoes, you either do like them or you don't like them, right? Go back to something really basic to just reset. So you can get in touch with that, um, signal for yourself that says I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm am comfortable here in spite of maybe, uh, these flooding feelings of anxiety that I keep getting. I do feel like this is somewhere I could say, Hey, I'm getting flooded with anxiety. Mm -hmm. or no, I just, it's actually, I just don't want to be here. This doesn't feel comfortable for me. I feel like I'm talking and this person just can't quite see me, hear me, understand me.
1: And if you don't feel as though it's a good fit, therapists, we recognize that every client that that walks into our office is not going to be a good fit. We don't Mm -hmm. expect that and so it's okay to be able to say you know i don't think this is a good fit i'm not going to be returning for another session and i really empower people to you know i always check in at the end of the session i'm like how did this feel for you can you see us working together in the future and you know i'll kind of put out there like if if you don't that's totally okay like i it won't hurt my feelings i'm not going to get angry those types of things because i think people get really scared or i've heard before of you know, my clients being like, yeah, I didn't like this therapist and I just ghosted them or I didn't know what to say, or, you know, I, I didn't want to make them upset. We get it. You're not going to be friends with everybody The you know, again, going back to like the dating reference, every person that you're going to date is not going to be like the right fit for you. And it's the same thing when you work with a therapist.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So really just consider first things first, what, what is it that you need or want out of, seeking therapy. Once you've honed in on that, now you can start doing your search. You know, I, if, if it's an issue that you have going on, you feel comfortable asking friends, family, loved ones that you know are mental health aware and friendly, do that. Word of mouth referrals are great. Go through your insurance if that's the thing you're planning to do, or check out some of the local people in your area on Google search or psychology today, excuse me, or one of the other ones we mentioned. And then get that first session booked. When you come in to a session, either either you're coming into the office or you're coming in via telehealth, both are great and, and they both have their own merits. So um, both methods have been researched and, and they're very equivalent. So um, for any who are hesitant about telehealth, it's actually a wonderful tool, especially for us. We don't necessarily have to be in person um, to be able to get the same results. It's, it's on par for both of those. But anyways, once you get to your session, which, whichever it is, um, most therapists are going to start just with some assessment questions. And what I mean by assessment questions is just getting to know you essentially you're going to see that we're asking you a lot of questions about what brings you into therapy. Um, Why now is a very popular one for us. We want to know um, why today, like, why are you here now? How come not six months ago? How come not wait longer? We want to, we want to know the why now, the here and now of it. Um, So you may have struggled with this for a long time, but you're here today. um, So why now? And then we also want to know probably about your history Uh, things like that. Do you have siblings? Do you not? um, How connected are you with your family? Who's your um, maybe family of origin or family of choice, depending on kind of what people you might be bringing up in sessions. And we just want to know about your lived history, your background. We're probably also going to ask you some of those standard checkbox questions about your medical and mental health history, right? You ever been in therapy before? Um, Do you currently take any medications? Um, do you have any medical conditions I might need to know about? And I used to wonder when I first started, like, I apologize. I live off. If, if you can hear the siren coming through, I live off a main highway here. So it's very noisy. Um, but I used to wonder why we had to ask some of the medical questions until I got a client who legitimately had a blood sugar problem and could only schedule during this really um, challenging time of day. So I kept like a jar of mixed nuts and Mm -hmm. she would come to the session. She'd be like, Hey, do you have the jar? And I'd be like, yeah, but I just, it was kind of reserved for her in my desk and I would just pop it out. So she would just put a handful in, start munching. And then we get into the session so that she could stay level with her uh, blood sugar, you know, and little things like this are things that we'll want to know, because if something happens to you, we want to have an idea of what might be going on there. so that we can help you um, with whatever you need. Um, Let me see, what what else was I saying? Sort of medical stuff gets me off topic there. Assessment (laughs) questions, getting to know you. Assessment questions, yeah. So when I used to work at the agency though, we actually had check boxes and we had to go through like every possible medical disease. And it was just a very lengthy list where most of it did not apply. that's not the way I do it now. Now I'm just going to more open it and ask you, do you have any medical conditions I might need to be aware of that could be influencing things? Because a lot of medical conditions too will influence your mental health. So, um, <clears throat> and yeah, that's pretty much it. The other side of it that I really encourage clients to do. And I, I typically, if they don't already do this without my prompting, I'll encourage them when we're getting toward the end of that first session to ask me any questions they want to know. So people might want to know about my background, uh, what specifically my license is. They might want to talk a little bit about my specialties, how long i have been practicing and a a myriad of other questions. So I encourage people to like get to know me as well. Um, Obviously we do have boundaries around our, between our personal and our professional lives. So your therapist may not openly tell you like that they have children I do because it helps me relate to a lot of parents and I'm fine with sharing that information, but you know, some professionals might not share that much, but you can absolutely ask them about how they practice what um what their approach is to therapy, what you can expect from therapy with them. Um don't worry about putting them on the spot. If you do, they'll figure it out. <laughs> um yes. but most therapists kind of do have answers to these questions already for you. And so feel free to ask those. So it's sort of a mutual get to know you process. Mm-hmm.
1: See, I do that in the beginning. So I'll go over confidentiality, you know, all of our practice policies and procedures that are really important. And then I tell my my client, I say, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about me personally and professionally, and then we'll kind of transition into like what brings you in, your treatment goals, all of that kind of stuff. And so I'll go over how I practice, what to expect in therapy with me, and then I transition into like my personal stuff. So usually, what I talk about is the fact. The animals that I have, and I always get a laugh out of everybody when I'm like, You're going to see my cats. Like, if we're, if we ever do tell how, like they're there, my dog will bark. I just it in, in advance. Um, I usually talk about my hobbies. So I'll talk about like reading or watching TV or things that I like to do outdoors. And I think that's it. And I usually make a comment. I'm like, Yeah, I'm a pretty boring person if I'm, you know, when I'm not working kind of thing. And um, I, I find that that really helps to like break the ice early on in the session, because then people, they kind of get a feel for me. They get a feel for what I'm bringing to the table. And so they usually, I notice they tend to like relax a little bit. Like when I get into my personal stuff, they start laughing and they're like, oh yeah, I have this pet too. Or usually with the book thing, they're like, how many have you read? Um, So it's a really nice icebreaker that they get to know that along the way. And so they feel more comfortable as we transition into their stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you're now a just a regular person too. You, you happen to be a trained therapist and you're licensed, but you're also a regular person that just likes to read books and hang out with her pet babies, <laughs> you know? And you're like, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Yeah. That's it. So what have you been up to? <laughs> tell, me, tell me about yourself. I love that. Yeah. I kind of do, I usually do my, my spill which is let's get all the must-dos out of the way. And so for people that come in with me, I, confidentiality. So basically it's Vegas. Everything we talk about here stays here. I talk about the limitations to that. Um, so for those who don't know, there are a couple of caveats there. The one's going to be the obvious, which is like abuse. So uh, abuse to a vulnerable population that's going to be kids and elderly At least in our state, the state of Florida, we're mandatory reporters. So if you tell us of a known abuse that has not been reported, we then have to report that. So that's a time I would break that confidentiality for safety. The other is actually safety related too, and that's going to be suicidal or homicidal ideation and intent. So if you're at risk of harming yourself or somebody else, we are going to intervene and do what we got to do to keep you safe. So that's, that's another one that I talk about. I sometimes add a little bit to that. And I I try to get quite specific with people because I've had clients that have shared they're having a suicidal thought, they're afraid to share that in session. I've heard that from many people over the years, not toward me, but they'll, they'll say that they felt that way in other sessions because obviously they're telling me about it right now. And they're going, oh, before this happened, and I didn't tell my therapist. And I say, keep in mind, you have to have all three criteria for me to take action on that. And that's going to mean intent means, um, and, um, uh, oh my goodness, means, plan. intent and plan. Yeah, there you go. Thinking, I'm like, what's the other one? Um, I do know them, I promise, <laughs> but again, that's the podcast hat on, not the therapy hat. So the hats are a little different. But you've got to have all these criteria. So like if you're somebody who's having those thoughts, um, then something to bring up in therapy so that you can talk about it and process it. That's one way to actually stay safe, right, is to talk about these things going on. We are going to assess that further and see if it needs immediate action. And a lot of times for a lot of people, it doesn't. It needs safety planning. It needs processing. It needs support. They need support, um, but they don't necessarily need that next level of care. So leave that to your therapist to discern. Um, and and if you're having some of those thoughts, understand that a trained professional is going to be able to discern if the thoughts are just coming in for you or if it's imminent and you need immediate intervention. But if if you do, if it if it qualifies as that high of risk, we're going to do that intervention, and that's where we would break confidentiality to keep you safe. Um, the other is legal issues. So if you run into any legal stuff where we're subpoenaed to court, we do have to comply with that. But I also go into a little nuanced detail here. And I say, keep in mind at the master's level, which is what we all are in our practice. We're witnesses of fact, not of opinion. That means they usually don't really care what we have to say. (laughs) Okay. Um, it's not that they don't care, but they're gonna get what they consider a subject matter expert, which is probably gonna be a PhD level person hired by the court to serve the court and discerning these sort of psychological matters. Most of what they'll want from us is maybe a records request of the documentation showing that you've been in therapy, or maybe a quick even summary letter to say, you've been with me for this long. This is the diagnosis I've provided here's the treatment goals that we've set out to do. So it's usually pretty fact-based generic information in a sense that we're giving, because again, they're not asking for our opinion. They're just saying like, is this person making progress? Have they been attending therapy regularly? And those kind of um, yes, no, more type of legal um, questions, if you will. And the the last I always tell people is like consultation. So as therapists, we do try to stay up on our skills. And that means for most of us, some amount of consultation that could be through supervision. If you have a supervisor you meet with, that could be through another, like a group of therapists that you meet with and you all consult together It could be what we do in, you know, the hallways of our office, Um, whenever we need it, you know, we just pop in on each other and go like, Hey, I've got to say, let me talk this out with you. Right. And we don't reveal a lot of identifying information in most of those situations because it's not necessary. But what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that our skills are staying fresh and we're not missing anything. We're not missing a perspective that another therapist might be able to see more clearly from the outside. So we do consult with you. Each other And that's another possible um, break of confidentiality if we do need to be more specific. Um, so yeah, but those are all actually held under confidential circumstances. So the person we typically relay the information to, they are bound uh, by HIPAA and confidentiality as well. But yeah, but I usually, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, you're good. So we typically will go over that first session. So that way people are Mm -hmm. aware and, you know, kind of making sure that they understand what that looks like. And yeah, I think it just helps people like have a better expectation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I like to give, obviously, I mean, that was a long winded answer. So, um, you know, I like to give enough information that people feel comfortable understanding what that actually means. We say it again, curse of knowledge, we say it so much, we know what we're talking about. But when it comes to like suicidal ideation, people will get fearful about mentioning it thinking, Oh no, you said you'll break my confidentiality. It's like, no, 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 no. Hang on. Um, that's if we get to this certain point and I, I'm usually in a place where I can let you know, right. I can let you know, here's something I'm going to need to do this to follow up or follow through on it. The other thing I talk about is my practice policies, because for me, I want to get it out of the way. And I think you said this too. It's like, I want to talk about what happens if you know, show, how to schedule with me, um, what to expect for getting in touch with me between sessions, if that ever needs to happen. And I like to lay out all those sort of ground rules for me. That's me creating the structure of therapy. So I'm telling you, here are all the boundaries. Here's how you access me. Um, and here's what this will look like just so none of that is confusing. Uh, I, I used to be of the thought when I was like in the agencies and I would get bogged down by like all the admin stuff. I'd be like, oh, this is making things so complicated. I don't like keeping up with it. Now that I've built my own practice, I'm like, actually, this stuff is really influential on the therapy process. Because if people don't understand like what's going on with their billing or when they're going to be charged or how to get in touch with you, if there is a crisis, then there's a low level of anxiety just floating around because they just simply don't know what to do and they don't feel grounded and and structured in that. Um, and the boundaries are very diffuse. So I like to make those boundaries really clear. And then from there I usually switch gears into like, so what brings you into therapy? And we just kind of roll from there.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of, in a first session, there's a lot of information that gets thrown at you a lot of getting to know, you know, your therapist and then transitioning more into like, what's bringing you in typically, for me, at least, I you I typically use the first session as like information gathering, assessment. You know, just trying to get to know you. And then towards the end of the session is when I will give. I'm a homework therapist. I tell my clients I'm like I will give you homework. So usually I'll end the session and I give out a feelings wheel and I will give out some grounding skills just to you know kind of across the board and talk about like the importance of both of those things. And um, I. It's rare, depending on the client that I will like jump in and do therapy, quote unquote, and like use interventions and doing this type of stuff in a first session. If the client is coming in and it's like a higher crisis or there's like a really big presenting issue in that moment, we'll kind of transition more into that, but usually in the first session um, there's my dog. Um, yeah, I was like, come to say hi. <laughs> So usually the first question is just more of uh, gathering information and, and figuring out like what the treatment plan is it's even gonna look like, and then um, just gonna keep working. <laughs> um, very productive. Fun. So. <laughs> I like doing that because I I think it also keeps things light for people, you know, it's not that you have to come into the first session and like tell, tell the therapist, like all of your trauma and, you know, these are the things that like I'm keeping hidden. I tell my clients all the time, even in the first session, you tell me whatever you're comfortable with. And if there's something that you're not ready to get into or ask you a question, and maybe it, it's a little too personal in that moment, just let me know. And then we'll kind of transition and move on because you set the pace in therapy. Um, I really emphasize that with my clients.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and that's really, I usually kind of do it. Tell me as much or as little as you want me to know today about what brought you in here. And then from there, I probably have like some follow-up questions. So you might start to tell me like, Oh, I feel like I've been struggling with anxiety my whole life. And I go, okay. Um, Is this the first time you've been in therapy or have you been in treatment for this before? Okay. What, what type of treatments have you done? Do you take medication currently or no? What, what maybe coping skills do you already have? And then I start to peel back the layers of what this has looked like for you living with anxiety so far what has worked what hasn't worked um, and what your kind of goals are for therapy that typically takes about one to three sessions too that's another thing so like shamina is talking about where she's like we're not jumping into like a um a therapy session necessarily we're still in that what we like to call the intake process meaning like we're still gathering information and it's very much as kind of getting a foundation from which to work. Um, so this is where like Shamina says she does a feelings will and some grounding and coping skills right away. Cause we want you to have a good foundation to go from. Um, so you might feel like I have coping skills, like, okay, great. Awesome. But here's some more. <laughs> we want you to have a variety to pull from as we progress through this. And we can gather that information again from like about one to three sessions, sort of depending I tend to look at um all my sessions have assessment, right? I'm I'm constantly assessing because I'm just I'm asking questions, I'm finding out more. So there's assessment all throughout the therapy process, right? You tell me about a family member we haven't talked about before, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know you had this really close relationship with this uncle. Tell me about wait, is this your mom's uncle or your dad's? Tell me more about it. Oh, okay. Oh wow. Wow. Sounds like that person was really influential when you were younger. Mm, interesting that's around the time you had this other major life change going on you know I'm like oh I'm, I'm putting together some pieces and um, figuring out some of your story little bits at a time throughout the therapy process so there will always be more information that comes up that I'm going to go back into assessment mode um, where I'm trying to gather more information about that but the bulk And the foundation of that is usually the first, um, second, and third session, depending on how much of that time is needed before we're kind of going, okay, what do you want to work on? Now let's dive into that. Mm
1: -hmm. And that process looks different for everybody. And that Mm -hmm. timeline looks different for everybody. And so there is no there's no like one size fits all. There's no recipe to follow as a therapist or just in therapy of, okay, if I do these things then I will achieve my goals or, you know, I'll I'll be healed quote unquote at the end of it. It's, it's very individualized. And I, I tell my clients that as well, that if I ever suggest something that doesn't work for you or your learning style, let me know, because we have this general knowledge and we kind of, um, filter it down based off of the person and how they work best or their learning style. And mm-hmm. so it, it, the therapeutic journey really depends on you and what <laughs> you're looking for and what you bring into each session, what you're doing outside of the session. And I, I think that's the really hard f- part for people is that they show up, they come in, they're like, okay, well, I spent an hour, I I, I should be fixed or, you know, <laughs> I should feel better by now. but there's so much more that goes into that. And I think that is something that people don't really realize going into therapy is that it's just like going to the gym. You know, you walk mm-hmm. on the treadmill for 10 minutes and then you leave, are you going to look super fit and meet all your fitness goals? No, probably not. But if you're still consistent or you are changing your nutrition and strength training, all of these other kind of things that you're doing, then you're going to see the results. And it's the same type of thing when you come to therapy.
0: No, I love that comparison because to me this brings us full circle in the conversation. So every time we get on and we talk, there's always a moment where I go, What what am I talking about? Am I still on topic? Right. Because (laughs) the way that I work is my joke is I open my mouth and the universe falls out and I'll take notes as well if something good comes out. Like I'm I'm experiencing it with you. And this is just how it works when I when I talk and I converse and give public speeches and things like this. I just sort of like start talking, something happens. And I, I hope it's good. Um, I wish it were a more refined process, but Hey, anyways, we were, we started with that, like the whole mental health stigma, almost of like, this is very much the same as like medical stuff, physical stuff. Right. And I love that you made that comparison. It's like, this is the same as going to the gym. You don't get fit now for some people it's six months and they've hit their goals right? They're, they, they're back to where they want to be, whatever, be that, um, a measurement, uh, a weight, uh, a shape, uh, whatever, a fitness level, whatever that goal is, they can hit it in a shorter period for some people, it's years and years and years. And for some people they go for years and years and years quit, have to go back, try again, quit, have to go back, try again. So remember that if that is what your journey is look looked like, especially for the trauma survivors out there it is not uncommon for people to see many many therapists before they one land with one that feels really good for them and it starts to feel like it's actually working and then two even if you are working with a really highly trained therapist it's such a co-creative experience that that can take a really long time to settle into and it's not like one thing and then boom you're fixed you're healed it's many, many layers being peeled back over time until you kind of get to the core of whatever that issue is, or you get to the next level, if you will. So give yourself that time. Like you go to the gym and you maybe get really good at cardio. And then you realize like, wow, I've really neglected my strength training. So now I got to go in and do some more strength training. And then maybe I want to find a balance between both of these There's different goals to be had as you go through the process. There's different markers to meet. So keep in mind, it's definitely not overnight success when it comes to therapy, typically. Um, It's very similar to, like Shamina says, going to the gym and getting back to whatever level of health you're aiming for.
1: And believe in yourself. I think that's such a big thing is that it takes so much courage and strength to admit that Hey, I'm not okay. And I need help with this, whether it's going to a doctor, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's coming to therapy. And so give yourself some credit that you want to improve in whatever way you want to live a healthier life, whether that's mental health or physical health Mm -hmm. and be proud of yourself for doing that because it's not easy and it's hard. And we know it's hard. We, we live it every day. We are also people um, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. You're not alone yeah. in that. Yeah, it's definitely a hard thing. And the thing is, it's probably a hard thing for your therapist too, right? Like we we aren't immune. That's why I say like we do this every day, but we're not immune to having our own issues, our own challenges. I think more and more therapists I meet actually identify as having a mental health diagnosis themselves. When I meet people out in our profession, more and more of them are very self-disclosing about, like, I too have, you know, chronic anxiety or this or that, or I, you know, I have a traumatic history or, you know, I come from a, a dysfunctional household or, you know, what are, however they identify it. But more and more people are being very transparent about that. The idea of like us as this all-knowing expert, um, I think that might light and our skills, right? But how we show up as just a human in the world really matters. So we're also doing our work right alongside you most of the time, um, not in your session, that's reserved for you. Uh, but you know, we're doing our own work We're we're trying to cope with our own things and navigate through stuff. So sometimes I find myself giving my clients reflections and hearing it and going like, I really needed to hear that. (sighs) Wow. That was really helpful. (laughs) And I'm like thinking that was for them, but I also needed to hear that today. Glad I heard myself say it, you know? And and it's things like that, that, you know, to remember is like, if, if you feel that your therapist is sitting in judgment with you, get another therapist, okay? Because this isn't about judging you. Uh, this is about like meeting you where you're at so that you can get to where you need to go. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So it is quite the journey. We hope that this episode is helpful for anybody listening to make it a little bit easier. And we, we hope that you all have a wonderful Mental Health Awareness Month and are paying attention to what your mental health means, how you're taking care of your mental health this month. Um, Ritz and I are definitely a little more aware of ours and ways that we can continue to take care of ourselves
0: so that way we can show up for our clients. Yes, definitely. So, so hopefully this just gave you a glimpse into like what to expect, you know, so that if you are again, somebody who's on the fence and you're not sure you feel a little bit like, okay, all right. I would listen to these two. They've rambled on enough about it. I feel like I know what, what some of the key things that are going to happen in this process are, or again, if you're somebody who's been in therapy, uh, hopefully you heard something validating and they're like, you know what? I did have a bad experience and I did get discouraged. Um, And so feeling like that's okay, that does happen. And and that's not, that's not you. You didn't do anything wrong there. Um, So definitely keep, keep going, you know, because not every therapist is for everybody and that's fine. That's how it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah. So stay tuned. We will talk with you all next month. Definitely.
0: Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.